The world is a beautiful but challenging place to live. And let's face it, life hits hard sometimes. So if you find your hopes and dreams and mental well-being needs a boost, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Welcome to Inspire Us with your host, Jay Paul Nadeau, a former hostage negotiator turned motivational speaker and acclaimed author of Take Control of Your Life. And now, here's your host, Jay Paul Nadeau. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of Inspire Us. Today, I have Bilal Vakani joining us. Now, Bilal has had me on his show several times, and he's always treated me so well. Today, Bilal is going to be talking about turning your greatest weakness into your greatest strength. Let me tell you about Bilal's career. He started his career as a producer at TSN 1050 Toronto and eventually became the Blue Jays fan reporter. He later joined TSN Sports Centre as a story editor before joining SiriusXM Canada. He now co-hosts the Ben and Bilal show and can be heard on Sports Talk Today with Ryan Patton. If you're a sports fan, you're going to absolutely love this show and you'll probably recognize my friend Bilal. And even if you're not a sports fan, you're absolutely going to love the show. So without any further ado, I would like to welcome Bilal Vakani. Hey, Bilal. Welcome to Inspire Us. I am so happy to have you on the show, my friend. Yeah, it's funny. And I always want to call you Jay Paul, but Paul, it's great to talk to you. And, you know, I've certainly had you on some of the serious XM shows I work on, you know, most specifically the Ben and Bilal show, which is every weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 167 Canada Talks. I'll try to put away the radio voice from uh, for, from here on out. And I've been keeping an eye on this podcast. And yeah, I've got a bit of a story to share for you. Maybe not the most inspiring, but it's up there. Well, you know what? Everybody has a story. And this is what we all need to recognize that every one of us is going through something and have gone through something that by sharing our stories, we might be able to connect with somebody out there who says, hey, that's me. Or that was me when I was a kid. Or that's me now. Or that's me last week. And how do I get through this? What is it that I do that can inspire me enough to get over the feeling that I'm having. And I've always enjoyed being on your show. You've always been a gentleman, a real kind person yourself. And you always made me feel so welcomed when I went on your show and Ben's show and Todd's show. And, and mm -hmm. having you on is an absolute delight. We got to talking the other day and you shared a little bit with me about your past and how as a child, it wasn't that easy for you. Do you care yeah, to expand I on that? Yeah, let, let me go right from the start and then feel free to pick in or jump in at any point. So, you know, I'm born in Toronto. Uh, I have a, I have a father and mom who, you know, are predominantly Indian and Pakistani. So I have one grandparent from India, one grandparent from Pakistan on both sides, on the maternal and the fraternal side. Uh, obviously, my grandparents were cool rebels and they just crossed borders and got together, which would have been very controversial 50 or so odd years ago. And so I have a very diverse family. My mom's actually been, was born in England. Uh, my dad was born in Pakistan and, you know, my mom at a young age came over here and my dad uh, came over here marrying my mom. So I have sort of this very interesting lineage. So, you know, as a young boy, my first memory is the Blue Jays World Series. I don't know if it's 92 or 93, but well, yeah, they're both good memories. And, you know, I always loved sports. I was always very, you know, in the Canadian culture. And the interesting thing is I get to, you know, about a year later, I'm getting into grade school. 
And, you know, my parents are trying to teach me Udu in, in addition to English. So I'm trying to learn two languages as a five, six-year-old kid. And I have a very, and maybe because of my sports knowledge, I have a very natural interest in numbers. So I do very, very well as a child with anything math-based, I do really well. But then we get to English and, you know, no one would believe this, but I was struggling with English as a young boy uh, to the point where it, it wasn't long after I started grade school that I was put in uh, the special education portion of English classes. And that's, uh, you know, I think the good thing is no one ever made me feel bad about it. Uh, I, I made one of my lifelong friends through this process and I just kind of continued on. I think I switched schools a year later, uh, which really wasn't related to that. And I just kept going. And, you know, the, the short version of this was essentially I'm going through this and, you know, my greatest weakness as a child is, is I can't really write. I can't really speak this language that well. Uh, maybe I can speak it because I'm just a kid and kids don't shut up. But I, I just struggle to, to put pen to paper and write and read things at a high level. And the people were just so great that by the time I got to grade five, I was devouring books. I was practically a straight A student. And then you fast forward from somebody who as a child struggled with English to, I can argue it's become my greatest strength because I go on to Sheridan College. I do a journalism broadcasting program. I finish that with honors. Then I, for whatever reason, do post-grad in journalism, which is completely unnecessary, but I did that. And then I go to Ryerson and get a degree because we're in a recession. And I actually walk away with an English minor from Ryerson. So <laughs> the level of progression is really amazing. And that lesson I got as sort of a young man about taking your, your greatest weakness can become your greatest strength because you can just identify it and people can help you with it. That, you know, even when I finished at Ryerson, and I didn't mean to set the story up so perfectly chronologically, but it just worked out that way, is I, I was a finalist for Drafted, which was a reality show to find the next sportscaster in Canada. And this was my last year at Ryerson. And, you know, I got into that and again, I got hit with a weakness and the weakness was you only know basketball. You don't know other sports. That was the weakness. That was the gripe. So I remembered that. And then I went on to intern at TSN 1050. That was the internship that really carried my career. And one of the first gigs I got out of that internship was an international sports show. So I go from, well, you might not know the other major four sports to try to produce every sport in two hours on a weekend. Uh -huh. But I, I, I welcomed that challenge. I learned about rugby, rugby league, which are two different sports, rugby union and rugby league. I learned about international soccer and I absorbed this stuff and absorbed this stuff and it became my strong suit once again. So you have this kid who struggled with English and then he struggled with just knowing basketball. And I put all these things together. And you know, by the time I, I finished at TSN in about four years, it was probably a couple of months before, you know, when I joined SiriusXM four years ago, they made me a sports anchor based on my knowledge and my communication of sports of all kinds and my specialty in the non-major four North American sports. So the moral of the sort of the condensed version of the story is, you know, I want everyone to know, especially as we're in this pandemic and things seem so bleak. This is a principle. And one of the things I've done during this pandemic, and I'm sort of giving away the whole story, but I know you'll have great follow-ups, is I've started cooking and I couldn't cook maybe three months ago. And now I'm not bad. I'm actually pretty good at cooking and I quite enjoy it. And I've added a new school uh, skill set during this pandemic. And to that point, and sorry, I'm going so long here. That was great. At SiriusXM launched a, it was a weekend show, but we took a weekend show and we expanded it out to five days a week. The, the Andrew or Crystal Nation with Andrew Crystal 
4 to 5 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 167 Canada Talks. We took that one hour show and we very smoothly made it five hours, you know, one hour each weekday with, with great success, flawlessly. And I honestly have not sat in the room with my friend Andrew Crystal in this entire process. I've done it all from home and it's pretty much been perfect, which is kind of unbelievable. If you had told me that before, I would have never believed you can scale a weekend show into five hours and do it flawlessly. Well, you have done a great job of that. And uh, I didn't want to interrupt because your chronological story was so interesting to listen to. And you've touched on so many things that I want to go back and just dig a little Mm -hmm. further. So when you were a child in the home, what was the predominant language? What was the first language of the home? That's a great question. It was, it was so, it's such a fluid transition. So I would say English, but my dad might get a call from one of his friends and it might become Udu. And, and, you know, I don't think my mom spoke it as much, but with my dad, it would just like flip like that. And even when he was in one language, he would throw in stuff from the other language. So it was just to his credit, he was simultaneous. And we'd watch like a lot of Bollywood movies. And I understand a lot of it. I I read the whole Quran, but I did it in English because it was easier. And yeah, it it was like, I I sort of always will envy. And I'm glad I had the opportunity to at least try to learn this language because one of those things where I truly believe the greatest learning opportunity is when you make a mistake and you can't make a mistake if you don't try anything outside of your comfort zone. You can't ultimately grow if you're just in, you know, for lack of a better term, the same bubble all the time because there's no room for you to maneuver out of that bubble. You're just in the same spot all the time. That is so true. Uh, There's a lot of people who remain in their comfort zone and really go nowhere. They stay in the same place and to succeed in different things or to experience different things, we've got to try different things. Things don't come to us and we don't master them unless we put effort into it. You said it yourself. You welcomed the challenges of learning new sports. It's not like you ran from them. It's like, okay, I only know basketball, but there's such an opportunity here for me to learn so much more. That is the example that all of us need right now. We need to remember that Despite our circumstances, there are great opportunities out there if only we look for it. And I want to bring you back to when you were six years old and you struggled with English. As a kid, it must have been very difficult for you to maneuver that. Would I be right? Like it was, was it? Yeah, it's it's very weird, Paul, because from a conversational standpoint, like kids don't shut up. So that part was easy, right? And it wasn't until I was evaluated and marked on my ability to write and construct thoughts and read a book and, and break it down. And, you know, that's, I, I don't even think I had any idea. I don't even think my parents would have fully understood the the big gap that was there, right? Because neither of them were a product of the Canadian school system. So, mm. well, I, I guess my mom would have been after five in fairness. But at that point, you know, when my mom was my age, she was just coming to uh, whatever it was, Canada. So she, she didn't have, you know, she had the English system up until that point. So it's amazing how subtle, you know, how thin the line is with these things. And I'll go back to one other thing you said about international sports. You know, Paul, you never guess. What's my favorite sport right now? You would never guess. As someone who always loved basketball, you would never guess what my favorite sport is right now. You know what? I, I'm going to throw out as many as you like. All right. But no, you know what? How about uh, mixed martial arts? Going to throw that one out. It's a very good guess. Uh, I will save you some time. Formula <laughs> One. Formula oh. One has really become the 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 most exciting and and you know the interesting thing with that i think one of the reasons i love it is it's so international and you know i would be the first to admit it's one of the least competitive sports in the world 
Because if you're in a Mercedes car and you've got all that money and you've got that brand behind you, nobody's touched them for the championship in seven years. It's a record for the sport. It's they're the most dominant team in all of sports. So from a competitive nature, it's, it's barely a sport, but I just, I, I love that, you know, you have English drivers, you have Canadian drivers, you know, there's, there's a great young driver from Japan who's coming in as part of the partnership uh, Toyota is established with Red Bull. And, you know, there's so much, you know, multiculturalism and acceptance. And, you know, I just, and I love that they're in a different country almost every week. That's changed a bit because of the pandemic. They're doubling up on some countries, but, you know, you'll have a race in Montreal, you'll have a race in Singapore. And, you know, I just think of that's what I want the future of sports to be. So when I got that opportunity to do that international sports show, it was supposed to be me and somebody else, somebody who I worked with, and I like her quite a bit, but she wanted to go party and she didn't do it. She's like, I can't come in on Sunday morning. I got to go out on Saturday. I'm like, don't worry. I got you covered. I'll do both weeks. And it took maybe only those two weeks before they said, no, you should do this all the time. Like, this is your thing. And that became the foundation of the rest of my career was doing that show for three years on a Sunday morning to the point where when I bridged into working at Sports Center as a television writer, I would still do that Sunday morning show. I would come in at 5 a.m., do a sports show that was international, and then walk 10 feet down the hall and walk into the Sports Center newsroom and start writing three baseball or two baseball packs for the six o'clock or the 11 o'clock Sports Center. And like I was billing two different parts of the same company to do two different jobs back to back. And like, I don't know if I would do that again, but it was a very, very good experience. And, and even, you know, when I worked at TSN Sports Center, I got let go in three months because they were expanding the TSN channels and they needed to create room to take people who were sitting along me in those writer rooms and promote them on air. And they just told me, hey, look, you're better off in radio. And I took that advice. I ran with it. And a lot of the things I learned there uh, gave me additional contacts, additional understanding, more, you know, more of a wider knowledge of sports and also understanding how to compress things to a, a 90 second highlight pack taking a four hour baseball game and being able to build a narrative like, oh, hey, it's, it's dog day. Let's just show dogs after every play. <laughs> that was like the best highlight pack I ever did. And I don't even like dogs, but it was so cute. And the dogs were dressed up and like who dresses up, you know, there's like a hundred dogs in this ballpark dressed up. And you just, I learned things I never could have learned otherwise. And like, I, I think we're all a product of our failures and you know, I'm honestly very proud of that fa failure. And I, I look at, I have great respect for the people who write in television because I couldn't do it in three months. And there are people who have done it their entire career. Uh, and, and that's frankly why we have some sports anchors in this country who you can feel it. They wrote for five or 10 years and now they're just projecting that out to you and they know it inside and out. So, you know, I, I just got a whole other deal of, of respect for them because, you know, I think a lot of people, Paul, would watch a sports center and be like, oh, I know sports, so I could do that. Like, can you pronounce every name perfectly? Mm. Can you improvise lines? You know, if your prompter goes out, can you keep going for an hour? Because these people can. And I even worked the prompter with Rod Smith and some of the best in the business. And they are amazing. Like, they are very amazing. And I'm very happy to not be in that world anymore. Leave it to the experts. And uh, I honestly watch Jay and Dan every day because I love that they have a sense of humor about all this stuff. And they just own their mistakes at the end of every broadcast. And they just list them off for two minutes at the end of every show. And it's hilarious. And it's a good example to all of us. Nobody's perfect. Oh, no, that's it. And on you're touching on so many different things, too. 
when we listen to an artist or we watch an actor, an actor or actress on screen, and we think, wow, you know, that's so easy for them. And they must have been born with that talent. And, you know, we don't see behind the scenes how many thousands of hours have gone in to developing that ability to speak for an hour when the monitors go out or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and to be able to improvise and, and everything that you do. There's a lot of work that goes into being a professional. In, it doesn't matter what you do if you want to succeed. And you are an example of that because even going back and what I'm gathering from what you're saying, you developed really good work habits or focus habits when you were very young. When you were put in that special education class, you turned your greatest weakness into one of your greatest strengths because you never gave up. Yeah. Were there times when you were that kid where you wondered whether or not you were ever going to go get through that black hole of not being able to read, write, or was it dyslexia? Was it, or was it just the inability of, of, mm. of retaining that information? You know, I, I do wonder if it was dyslexia, but I've purposely have, I've never found out because I don't want to know. Right. And um, it's just one of those things where uh, I'll, I'll bring it full circle because I started, the first thing I remember is the Blue Jays World Series run. And, and then you fast forward to my last couple of years at TSN 1050. And I was actually the Blue Jays fan reporter. Like they just told me one day, hey, we need you to do this. And I started doing it. And they told me, I had three or four people at the channel say, that's the best thing on the channel is you just going out there and completely improvising goofy bits, like being at the wrong place or joking about getting into the, you know, they had this, this thing at the city hall where they had like, they were just doing a Blue Jays nest. And, you know, they're like, well, what's around you? I'm like, oh, there's a water fountain. They're like, okay, what else can you tell? I don't know. It just it somehow escalated to me being like, well, maybe I'll find John Tory and we'll jump into the, the pool at City Hall together and it'll turn into a hot tub. Municipal hot tub is one of the hosts called it. <laughs> and uh, it's amazing because even that experience uh, a couple of years ago uh, in September, MLB Network Radio uh, for Sirius XM, the Rays, who just won the World Series, uh, were basically about to clinch against the Blue Jays just a year ago and Sirius XM needed someone to go and cover it. So they, the Sirius XM Canada basically suggested me and I, I was so, there's so many things we get into. And so I do this thing on a Friday and it got moved up. It was supposed to be Saturday and Sunday. The clinching got moved up. So on Friday night, I finished my full eight hour work day. I go straight to the Rogers Center. I do this report uh, I'm billing the U.S. Sirius XM company after finishing my shift for the Canadian company. I'm, I'm billing two different departments. And, I, you know, I go, I, I interview all the players backstage uh, in the locker room and I'm, I'm just staying back. I'm, I'm not getting sprayed in the champagne after these guys clinch it. So I'm talking to Blake Snell, who was integral to this whole World Series run they just had. And actually, they may have lost the World I forget who won the World Series, but they were in it just recently. And Blake Snell is talking to me. He's like, why are you so dry? I'm like, oh, I just kind of sit in the back. And then I have the whole Tampa Bay Rays pour me in champagne. So <laughs> that's that experience. I get out of there. I file that for MLB Network Radio. The next day, I'm in the Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer. Uh, I've raised a few thousand dollars, which I was doing every year as part of my Sirius XM thing. And I, I wasn't going to do it because I was going to be at this baseball game, but now I can do it. So on a couple hours sleep, I go to do the Road Hockey to Conquer Cancer, which is a charity event. And I sort of, my dad drops me off and I say, can you just leave MLB radio on and like, tell me how much they like play my little, whatever, couple minutes of stuff I filed. And, you know, I get back after the event and I ask him, he's like, I had to turn it off. They didn't stop playing your clips. They, they, they seem to love it. It was like their favorite thing to play was you getting drenched in champagne by Blake Snell. who's one of the best players uh. on the team. 
and some of the other clips you had that were really good. And it just, you know, one thing, you know, life moves so fast that it's just any opportunity you have, like just try to put everything you can into it because at a certain point you just have to let go of it and it just has to exist in this universe. And, you know, I try not to focus a lot on the things we can't control. Like for example, you know, we're taping this during the US election. I purposely did that, Paul, because I can't control, you know, this election. You know, I'm looking at it now, Biden's up by 30 electoral votes according to PBS. By the time we finish, he might be down by 30. Who yeah. knows? And this might go on all night. And I'm a firm believer in, you know, focus on the things you can control. And yeah, okay, maybe there's things you can't control that you might not like. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's no point beating yourself up over them or worrying about them too much. You know, you just have to rationalize things in your own world. And, you know, I think it's also important not to compare yourself to anyone. Because if I sat here and started to list off the people I went to school with who are anchoring sports casts, are on television, are on US television, are doing all these great things, are, are running news departments in this country uh, for television, uh, I would not rank very highly. But in, in terms of me doing my own things, I know that I've achieved a lot from where I've come from and I can see the growth year over year over year and I like what I do. And ultimately that is all it really comes down to is your personal growth and are you enjoying what you're doing? Because you know, anything else, even financial success comes with seniority and experience. Like you can't fast forward time. You can't go back in time and arrive at a company a year before that person who got a promotion ahead of you. You can't do those things. So, you know, if you just focus on uh, the two things I said, which I've already forgotten, you'll be good. Well, you know what? I haven't forgotten them. Number one, uh, I think what you've accomplished has been great. And you have a daily show on Sirius XM. You've accomplished so much. So you're absolutely right. Comparing ourselves to other people is not fair. It's not right. And to acknowledge the successes that you have had, and you have had many, you remind me of those leaders and those doers who try one thing, and if it doesn't work, it's okay. You've had that experience. You're going to move on to the next thing. But most of the things it sounds like that you've tried, you've succeeded in, and it has been a stepping stone to something new. What you touched on a little bit about tonight being election night, and this is a nice distraction from that because you're right. I don't want to go to that TV and be concerned and anxious and maybe even a little depressed about something I can't control. It's going to happen whether I like it or not. Whatever the outcome is, I have no say about that. What I do have a say is about what I do tonight. Having this conversation with you is a great stress reliever, and it's a great opportunity to get into your story. So you're right. Uh, so many people, and earlier tonight, before I got on with you, I read a posting from a friend of mine who said, put it out there, she's an actress, and she says, is anybody feeling overly depressed, anxious, can't sleep, critically? I think she used the word critically. Mm. She got 36 different comments from different people, and some that I know have positions of, of great adm admiration, and mm. they are successes, but they are pouring their hearts out there saying, no, they're not dealing well with COVID-19. Mm they're focused on, on the outcome of something that they can't control. That really concerns me because I know that once this is all done, there are going to be casualties, not only the ones who succumb to the actually the deadly virus, but those who succumb to the mental anguish uh, of post-traumatic stress once mm -hmm. this is said and done. But uh, and I, enough of what I got to say. I wanna go back to your many successes. Were there times in 
what you were doing that you felt that you just couldn't put anything more into it? Or where did you, where did you go, you know, to tap into some of that extra energy that you had to bring you to where you are today? I'm a firm believer and I don't leave anything on the table. I generally just throw everything out. And the, the funny thing is you'll come back a year later and be like, wow, I wish I just thought of this a year ago or a week ago or a month ago. I could have been doing this better the whole time. So I think, you know, if there's anything and, and you know, we're now a lot of us are working from home. Right. And I think there's there is a danger in overworking yourself because the computer you you maybe have a, a work laptop that's always there. We've always had work email that's always there. Some of us don't put it on our phone. I do. And I've sort of learned to balance things out because, you know, realistically, I maybe got a Zoom at 11 o'clock. I'm not billing till noon, but obviously I'm going to go to the Zoom meeting. And whether I charge for that or not, it doesn't matter in a course of a week. And, you know, certainly I have nights where there's something to work on and I might start on something at eight, nine o'clock at night. But I know that, you know, by the time I get to Friday, if I'm putting in all that work, I might get those hours back. But I, I think, you know, we have to find that balance. And I, I just, you know, I feel for people who are going through a lot in this pandemic, but I also think there is, there are silver linings to this, right? Like the ability to work from home and how that's going to change our economy. Um, you know, the, we, the restaurant industry, I know is struggling so much, but it is an industry that's been in decline for a decade and innovation was needed because Uber Eats existed long before this pandemic and they were taking, you know, roughly 30% of the revenue from these restaurants whenever these deliveries were happening. So there are greater questions um, th that are out there. And uh, again, I, I feel for, you know, I have a lot of friends who just aren't working, who are working, right? Who are on syrup or on something else. And I, I think ultimately we have to ask deeper questions. And even with this pandemic, you know, there's, there's a great clip of Barack Obama when he was president talking about the potential for this pandemic. And he calls it within almost a year. He knew this was going to happen. He was well aware of it. And we since found out that Donald Trump was well aware of this. He just decided to downplay it. And it, it, it is what it is. And the reality we have to, we have to be realistic with this. And the, you know, the term a new normal has been thrown out a lot, but we have to be realistic. This is one strain of, you know, the noble virus. Like this is one strain. This could happen again. We, we can have a vaccine. A vaccine is probably not gonna be hundred percent effective. I have no idea. Is it gonna be 10% effective? Is it gonna be 90% effective? probably closer to 10, to be honest with you, from what I hear about vaccines and even things like immunity, people have brought up, uh, you know, immunity to this. Immunity is different for every single ailment. It, it's rarely the same. And th there's a great video I saw from Vox where they break down these different levels of immunity and it goes from years and years and years to weeks. And we just don't know. And, and I think, you know, I think for anyone who is in a position where you know, maybe they're just out of school or maybe they're out of work or whatever it may be, or they've been looking for work and they still haven't found it months and months, maybe years leading into this. You have a chance now to look at the quote unquote new economy and position yourself more strategically than somebody like me who, you know, it makes more sense for me to just continue doing what I'm doing, regardless of the longevity of my future career. It, it doesn't make sense for someone who is in a position where they're comfortable to change at this point. It would just be, it wouldn't make sense. But you know, I think th there are opportunities here. There are businesses, unfortunately, they've mainly been big businesses that have done very well, your Amazons or whatnot. Mm. But it doesn't mean those things can't be scaled. There are probably countless of business ideas that you and I don't have, because we would be doing them if we had them, where direct-to-consumer type business, 
there are less barriers to entry for people to get into those spaces. And, and even, you know, I think you mentioned uh, when you're acting friends, Canada is now a even more advantageous place to shoot than the US because of the way we've handled the virus. So there are opportunities in this. I don't know them all. I can only think of those, you know, few off the top of my head, but I, I think there, there's great opportunity. I think there's a chance for our version of capitalism to be softened because I don't think it's soft enough. I think it's not grown with inflation. It's not been very fair. And I think we have to make it very fair. Like we've seen hospital workers get increased pay. We've seen grocery workers get increased pay, but also we've seen those things clawed away in the middle of this pandemic. And, and now there's a greater light on how essential those essential workers are and how they should not be getting a minimum wage that was you know designed for teenagers. Like there's great attention that is coming to these issues that I think a lot of people were willing to dismiss before. So, you know, I'm hoping, you know, and, and this, the amount of people we've lost for this pandemic that's so preventable is heartbreaking. Um, but I think it's on all of us to try to get the best we can out of this and try to make sizable changes to our own lives and to our own society so that A, we're more prepared in the future, we're more cognizant of wearing masks, washing your hands, distancing. But, uh, you know, hopefully we, we can find new opportunities and we can create a better normal, not just a new normal, but a better normal out of this. Um, but it is heartbreaking. I think mean, that's the best way I can put it. It really is. And you know what? We have evolved into this normal. We call it normal. 40 years ago, what we're doing today was not normal. We didn't have the luxury of being able to pick up a, a device in our, in our hands and create a video uh, much more than you even talk to mm -hmm. someone. We had to go to a, a hardwired telephone and make that effort. So that was our normal back then. Our normal grew to this. Is it the best normal? Who knows? But it's not one that we can stick with at this moment. We have to reinvent ourselves. And you touched on a couple of things too, is that th this is an opportunity for a lot of people to really examine what they where they are in their lives, where they have been, and where they want to be. And the problem is I think a lot of people are stuck in where they are. They haven't looked at what they've had and been grateful for the things that they've had, and they're not looking far enough into the opportunities or into their future to yeah. make firm decisions. You try. You, we, there are opportunities out there to create new businesses. I've been, and I'm sure you have, I've been to many meetings with entrepreneurs, uh, people in their 20s and 30s who didn't want to work at a variety store or at a closed store, and they decided to create something on their own that ended up being a multi-million dollar company. And they're standing there chatting with people and telling everybody how, how it happened. So this is an opportunity for us not only to examine where we've been, but to examine where we are right now and how to better our futures. Lying down on the ground and doing nothing right now is not the answer for anybody. And regrettably, I think that's where a lot of people are stuck. And mm. it, it, it's a voice that needs to be changed. And that's why I think shows like this and just getting out there and sharing a story like yours, mm. how you as a young boy turned one of your greatest weaknesses into one of your greatest strengths. And you developed these uh, this character of going for what you wanted and not letting anything stop you is, is a, a fine example of what everybody here ought to be hoping to do is like, hey, we, we can't stop. We just got to keep on moving forward. That's just the way I think we all need to start to develop our minds to thinking nothing is permanent, but whatever happens that we can't control is something that we shouldn't worry about. 
And what we should worry about are things that we can't control. And yeah. you don't worry about them, you just work on them. Let me add to that, Paul. I think one of the things that I put a big effort into is diversity and representation has been something that's really come up because we've seen, uh, I think we had you on for the George uh, Floyd thing. Uh, I think that was probably the last time we had you on and it was, and, and I don't even think it was your fault. I think the topic was so tough that we were like, we just need a break. Like this was so heartbreaking to see this story. But, you know, I, I think what happened after that is people started to ask me some questions and then I started to ask some questions on could we do more for diversity in these issues? And just a week ago, um, I was sitting there and I watched the national news every night, just almost as homework. And I was watching, and I've been seeing this for months, to be fair. I was seeing what was happening in Nova Scotia with uh, the natives there and the fisheries. And it just, I, I understand journalism. I understand objectivity. I studied it. I specialized in it. But I, I look at these commercial fishers and I just, it's, it's not fair. I, I just, I can't put it any other way. As far as I'm concerned, it's not fair from what's been presented to me. I understand pers their perspective and everybody's given them uh, a very even play of the media. But then, you know, I see things, you know, through secondary channels where I just, you look at the economical differences, right? Like how many traps they have versus what the natives have. And then they're taking the natives traps out of the, you know, water and then they're burning things, you know, obviously, I, I think it's fair to assume the commercial fishers were behind, you know, an alleged burning that happened. I don't, you know, that's my presumption, allegedly. But, you know, so I reached out to the, the chief in charge, Mike Sachs, and he was very, very happy to talk to us. And I was, I was very direct with him to say, you know what, I've seen the coverage. I don't think it's fair. I want to give you a platform where we can just speak to you and we can just tell your story without having to pretend that these commercial fishers who you know, ultimately stole your land and are now stealing your ability to fish are equal. And, and again, it's not maybe the national news's job to do that, but I have a platform and I want to do that. And we had just a fantastic discussion with them. And I, I think the thing that struck me though, is that this issue has been going on for 21 years and the vast majority of us, we didn't know until there was a dispute, the vast mm. majority of Canada and internationally even. And unfortunately, this is the way our society is. Sometimes things have to go wrong for us to recognize the problems. And it's not always on that scale. Sometimes it's our own faults or weaknesses, right? You might not realize you're doing something wrong until somebody else tells you. Mm -hmm. That's often how it goes. And that's okay. I, I, it's not the best. It's, it's, we should always be asking ourselves hard questions. We should be asking those around us hard questions and we should hold ourselves accountable. But realistically, it's gonna happen to all of us we're going to realize we weren't, weren't accountable about this. I'm not doing this to the best of my ability, or I'm not being fair, or I'm not listening to someone around me. And we need to take those opportunities. And I think the problem, the overall problem is, you know, and we're all guilty of this in some respect, we don't take that opportunity always. And I'm not perfect at that either. I don't think anyone is, but I've tried, the more I've learned, the more I've gathered, I've tried very earnestly to do that and to not even look at things as weaknesses so much as you know, ways to improve, ways to go deeper into things, ways to open it up. And that's why you know, I had this rep going back to it as this basketball guy. Then I had a rep as a sports guy. Then I went to Sirius XM and my first rep was as a comedy guy. And then we took that show and we made it a new show. And now I have a specialty for science and technology. So I've got that thing. And there's all these little subsets and ultimately, I've turned all of those into specialities 
And I think most people, they pigeonhole themselves. I don't even think it's so much other people like, well, I, I like sports. It's like, well, do you like politics? No, I don't like politics. Do you like science? Uh, maybe I don't like science. And you just keep going down and down and down. And it's very easy to get in these silos, right? Like there are whole business models built on get NFL red zone, see all the NFL all the time. And look, it's a great service. I love it. But I'm okay with the highlights. I don't need to give away my entire weekend to keep an eye on. And I don't have any gripes with anyone who does because it's a lot of fun. And I, I enjoy a good Super Bowl party every year, but maybe not this year. But, you know, I, I challenge people to just have baselines. Like for me, it's watching the national news and watching Sports Center. It's in 22 minutes and in 44 minutes, I know everything happening in sports and news in Canada from a national perspective. And I don't even work for those companies. I just think those are good reference points, right? And I'm not a great reader. It's funny, we have a lot of people on who are great authors, such as yourself. I'm not, right? But I will pick it up. I will open it up uh, and I will try to read it. We had uh, Ali Brook on a week ago. She was in Fifth Harmony and she was very viciously bullied for being like the least athletic dancer or the, the least great dancer in that group. And she turns around, she's motivated by that. And she goes on Dancing with the Stars and she does incredibly well. And she's gone from being quote unquote, the weakest, and there's no such thing, but the weakest member of Fifth Harmony because they're a collective to a great solo artist who up until this pandemic, she was in between touring in Toronto and Boston on a, you know, North America. I might've even been a worldwide tour for all I know. And I picked up her book. And again, I didn't read all of it, but I just, I read a bit of the first part and it was so sweet and so nice. And then I read the epilogue and I hear about how the pandemic hit her. And it, it did make me realize that all our experiences are so different. Like this pandemic for me was a very, very gradual progression from, oh, there's only 10 of us in the office now to, oh, I'm taking the studio home and I'm doing <laughs> the same things I was doing before. Oh, and a laptop and a microphone. And I'm just doing them on my kitchen island. It, it, it wasn't, a, 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 it's a better situation, but it wasn't a massive change for me. Mm -hmm. But I can't even imagine you have your first big tour and it's taken away from you. Right. You can't do it. And yes, you, she, she has 2.7 million followers. So she's got fans that you and I will never see. But it's just, you, you lose it. But, but even then, she found the silver lining and bonding with her bandmates and her tour mates. And it was just a different experience for her. And she knows ultimately she will do these tours again. She will go to these cities again. She's not done. And, you know, I think as long as we're all taking the precautions we need to take, we will continue our lives in a similar fashion to how they were before. I, you know, are we all gonna still wear masks outside? It's, it's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea to continue wearing a mask and, and being good with your hand washing beyond a recommended period. And I'm probably, am gonna be one of those people. It's not a bad idea to let people work from home more because A, they're more productive, B, it's good for their mental, mental health. And, and maybe most importantly, it's cheaper for companies to not have to dedicate that real estate. You know, we know how expensive real estate is you know, I, there was a great CNBC video where, you know, if somebody works from home, a company saves $11,000 a year in the U.S. I, I don't know any company that doesn't want to save that money, you know. $11,000? $11,000 a year. That wow. was the CNBC number. And again, I that's probably counting the cost of restaffing the fridge. And right. you know, these are probably very good full-time employees that have some very nice benefits that you and I may not have. But at the end of the day, I, I just, I was blown away by that. It's, there are things you know, like the work from home is a great example. It is a, a practice that can benefit everyone, but we just haven't had the impetus to do it. Right. And now we have it. And now th there's so many domino effects. Like the real estate market in this country, which is highly inflated, could become quite a bit more balanced 
and people could live more rural country lives and still do their jobs and everything will be more affordable and mm. it, it'll be a much better world I think in almost every way and it's easier for people who want to be in a city to be in a city and you know I have a lot of hope that through all of the terribleness of the the last few months that there are going to be things we take away and again steps we've taken as a society forward and I, I think it goes back to what I said about what you can control you can't control what's happened with this virus, right? In, in Ontario specifically, we have done a very good job of you know, flattening the curve. The, I, I don't even remember the numbers, but I remember early in this pandemic, the hypothetical death count for this province, I think it was, I don't even, it was 10 times at least what we're sitting at now. It was catastrophic. Mm. And I, I understand COVID fatigue and, and I certainly, you know, I'm the first person to call someone out if I think it's happening. But the, the results are there, the, the benefits are there. And, and I, I feel for anyone, and this is easy for me to say because I haven't felt this personally, but for anyone who's had a decrease in business or has lost a job, but I, I have faith in everyone who's gone through that, you will get another job. You will be successful again. Our government, at least in Canada, is there for you. And they're trying to give you what resources they can. And you know, you will, I have faith in people to, re you know reintegrate into this new society much more than i have you know uh, the faith in our hospitals trying to deal with an overwhelming system where they're already having to turn away cancer uh, patients and other treatments and mm. you know the, those stories I, I don't even want to get into but they are they're they're they, you know they don't get to the national level enough um but you hear one or two of them and, and again it just uh, it's it's very sad and you know, I, that's why I've been pretty much in a very voluntary lockdown almost entirely over the last few months and just enjoying as many movies as I can, getting as much work as I can. And look at it, we're almost at Christmas anyways. So, you know, you're practically home free. But, you know, I, I and again, off topic, but I, I did want to address COVID fatigue because I, I'm seeing a lot of it. And uh, especially with Halloween just around the corner uh, or just in the past, just over our shoulders there. Um, we're unfortunately going to see a lot of cases rise in North America and then across the world. And uh, yeah, it's very sad. And in Europe, we're seeing full lockdowns now, uh, yeah. once again. Yeah. And you've touched on so many key points here. We are, you know, facing this, this time in our lives where so much change has happened. People are working from home and, and people have lost their jobs. There's a lot of change that has been happening. And I agree, I agree with you that many of the people who have lost their jobs will go on to find other jobs. But here's the thing. They're going to have to want to find another job. They're yeah. going to have to want to reinvent themselves. They can't just sit there. And I, I've heard of this happening. There's a lot of people out there who could be working right now, but they're getting the government assistance. And the more they are receiving that, the less energetic they are about finding work which is the wrong thing to do because you can get stuck in that kind of a pattern. The, uh, yeah, we know that even the condominiums, the prices of rentals here in Toronto, Ontario have come down quite a bit. And there's a lot of people who made investments uh, pre COVID-19 buying these million dollar condos who are losing everything now. They can't even rent it out for the amount of money that they ever dreamed of. There's a lot of change that's going to happen. Some of it's going to be good, some of it's going to be bad. But I think the important thing for all of us to do is to first take care of yourself and take care of what you can control in your life and to reinvent yourself. I've had to reinvent myself more than once. I've been knocked off my horse more than once, but I chose to get back on and to try something different. 
And it's when we try these different things that we can get the greatest of successes. It's like your story as, as a young boy, struggling with your English, but persevering and trying until not only did you get beyond it being something that you struggled with, it became something that you were strong at and that served you forever. We need to find that in ourselves right now. This is an opportunity. There's people, you learned how to cook two months ago. Now, you know, you oh, I was burning steak and there were, I think I told you and we were messaging, like I, I had smoke alarms going off. <laughs> like it was, you know, it could have been a big problem. Like I had to do everything I can to, to stop a full on fire alarm from happening. And those steaks were pretty much inedible. They were, and, and look, even, you know, along the way, I had a couple potatoes I was supposed to mash and they were basically uncooked potatoes when I was, you know, done simmering them for 10 minutes, which doesn't make any sense. That's not how you boil potatoes. Um, so, you know, and I've really, you know, like we have meal kits out there, right? Like that's what I've been using as a good basis to just force myself to do something different every week. And I pick something, I make it. And then I, you know, I'm a single guy in my thirties who weighs like 120 pounds. So I make a meal kit thing. I'm good for like four days, maybe five days, <laughs> take a four thing portion. And I got like five, six days of food. So it goes a long way. Um, you know, not that I've set up the home gym and started working out. That's probably the next thing I need to do, but you know, you can uh, accomplish a lot. And, and I will shout out my co-host Ben Miner. He's gone out of his way to shout out a bunch of old movies I've never seen. Like the whole aliens trilogy. I was one of those people who only watched the new movies, Prometheus and Alien Covenant, which I guess chronologically works. And I'd never watched the Sigourney Weaver. I had never seen Sigourney Weaver in an Aliens movie, which, which is completely insane. Yeah. And, like I like Fastbender, but she's much better. Yeah. And I, I've, you know, over the last weekend, I finally finished them. I actually watched them in the wrong order because I was so, like, I didn't realize Aliens was the second one. I thought Resurrection was the second one. Um, so, you know, you live and you learn, but it was a very fun process and like we have the, the benefit of we have a show and we can talk about all this but just, you know there's, there's not really anything proprietary to any of this right like anybody can start a, a movie club or suggest movies for each other or just go on Facebook and ask for movie suggestions there there's so much you know and, and I know Disney plus is a, a party thing and I know Netflix has had these third party sort of systems where you can virtually watch a show with somebody else or a movie and there's so many ways to connect and, you know, I had this discussion with someone else where I, I actually sat down and said, look, here's a bunch of stuff you can do. You, you don't need to go see your friends. And th there's something to be said for if you have a small gathering, okay, very small gathering, you have your bubble, but you, you can't, as far as I'm concerned, and this will differ by your region, you can't get together with 10 people. I, I just think that's irresponsible at this point. And if I see somebody doing it, I, I have, at, to be very frank, I have unfollowed people uh, who would do these kind of things because it, it does bother me. And I just, I do not need to see if you're doing that stuff. I, I don't need to, you know, and, and sort of the irony that you find when you do these things is that, well, these people followed you and unfollowed you right away to get a follower. Cause they're those kind of people. And one bad habit honestly is an indicator is often an indicator of another. And, you know, I think, you know, the beauty of social media, and there's been a bunch of great documentaries on this, whether it's the great hack or the social media dilemma on Netflix, they're both fantastic and good little different variations on it. Social media is what you make of it, like anything else. So if you curate a, a good group of people and a good feed, you can get a lot of very good stuff out of it. I'll often see friends of mine, job postings, and I'll send them to former interns of mine who are in a different circle and are looking for work. And it's it's a very nice process. I'd be like, do you remember that person in the office? Yeah, he, he's hiring a public relations like intern that's paid. You know, here, Here's a screenshot of that. 
and that person will drop my name, and I won't give any of the names here, to that person. And then that person will send me a press release by name because they just heard my name because I recommended you know, a former intern for this position. And it just becomes a positive circle of like the three of us just kind of have this triangle where maybe nothing will come of it, but it's like, drop my name. Well, thank you for this. Here's something else. And you just connect these dots. And, you know, I, I think there's also something to be said for using your network creatively because I network so much and I oftentimes will have somebody come to me with something and I'll, I'll just have to be honest. Like I, I had a publicist who's a friend of mine. She said, I've got this kids thing. And I have, and I had to be like, well, me and Ben don't have kids. No idea. Like I, I, know, I have I know a great host on this channel, Jeff Samet. He has kids. You should really reach out to him. He's a fantastic father. He's a very nice guy. He's, he's so good with this stuff. You know, he openly loves the Wiggles. Like I, I, I couldn't think of a better person, maybe in the entire country to talk to you about this. Oh, and by the way, I, I talked to his producer every other day. So email her. And um, it just, it's little things like that. And it is amazing what you can accomplish. Like uh, one of my best friends is a publicist and the, the amazing irony is he does more work with my coworkers than he does with me, but it's because the people he represents fit really well. And I, I think, you know, we also have to be objective about ourselves just because somebody is your friend and, and they can do something for you. Maybe you have another friend they can do something, you know, something for, and maybe that can be a better experience for everyone. And I think we need to be able to take a step back from our own lives and be able to look at ourselves objectively. And it's, it's very easy not to do as long as you have to ask someone around you uh, for that. And, and I have a lot of people who do that with me. And I, I think the other thing I would say is we have so much analytical data with anything we do, whether it's a podcast or it's a, even just a social media post on Twitter. And I, I think it's worth studying your own analytics to understand how you're impacting things on social media. I will often look at a month of my Twitter stuff and or analytics and I will see, oh, 200 people unfollowed me. And I'll say, okay, well, what happened last month? It's like, oh, I went to SummerSlam and I interviewed 20 wrestlers. Do I want to stop interviewing wrestlers? No. So I'm not going to care about these 200 people who were jealous or just didn't like wrestling or mm, just needed to clean up their followers. It doesn't, it ultimately doesn't matter. Like you have to take all of these things, whether it's your relationships the analytics, uh, what you like, and you have to weigh these things and try to find what makes sense to you and, you know, dig deep on yourself and make sure ultimately what you're doing is what you like. And then is it making you successful? Is it reaching people? Are, are you, are you making the most of your circle around you? Are you engaging? Are you sharing? Are you also liking and promoting things that people around you are doing? Like I try to be very good and I can always be better of, retweeting stuff a, a coworker does or liking something that just makes me smile on Facebook. Like uh, we're, we're all, you know, I think most people who are on Facebook are spending X amount of hours on it. And it's very easy to just scroll and not like anything. Mm. It doesn't mean you don't actually like it. It just means you didn't click on it. And, uh, you know, I think this is why a lot of people like Instagram because you can see exactly who saw your story, but you have no idea whether they saw your story and smiled or they saw your story and swipe right past you. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Oh, they watched the first part. They're not the second part. But I think that's also worth looking at because you can say, you know, do I need to put up 10 stories if only 10 people want to watch the first story? And by the time I get to the 10th story, it's one person. Like I am pushing away 90% of the people who are interested in me in the first place. 
And, uh, you know, there's, there's so many levels to this and there's, there's so much growth that can be found by it. But I, I think it's not so much about what anybody else thinks of what you're doing. It's what, what do you think of what you're doing? And what, what do the numbers say? Because that's worth some objective analysis, but ultimately it doesn't make you happy. And are you growing with this? And, and that's what I think is, is so important. And I, I feel like I am reiterating myself, but why not? No, you, you know what? These are things that we need told to us more than once because mm -hmm. sometimes we're just not in the right frame of mind to hear a positive thing because we're preoccupied with whatever it is that's going on in our lives. So to have it repeated more than once, one time it may just sink in and it may make all the difference in the world. And that's why a dose of positivity every day is absolutely necessary. They say an apple a day keeps a doctor away. Well, positivity during this COVID-19 is an absolute, and it's got to it's got to keep being offered to us so that we can be receptive to it. And what I like several things about what you said, Bilal, you said something about being there to support your friends, to make connections for them and to do something for them. And I think that is so important for all of us because when we do make that connection, and you've done that for me, you've put me in touch with a couple of people since we've spoken, and I really appreciate that. That's meaningful and people remember those kind of things. I know I will. And when we do that, we feel good about what we've done, but we also fulfill a real necessary component of who we are. We're really here to help one another out. You know, it's not just about us. And when you said people gathering in groups of 10 is not cool. That's right. Because it's not about that 10. It's about the millions around them. It's not just about them. It's about supporting one another and it's about helping one another. And if we can make a connection for someone that can illuminate their path or make their life a little bit better, isn't that much better than, than the alternative of not doing anything? Yeah. And Paul, I got to jump in because I, I didn't even mention the interns I work with and I need to mention them because I, I'll, and I'll shout some of these people out by name because they've done very well and I'm sure they would appreciate it. Uh, starting with Zach Crawford, who I I'll know tell Zach. you, yeah, Zach interned with us. He, you know, went from right from school to interning with me to now he works at Sirius XM. He's a sports anchor. He's an operator. And I'll tell you, Paul, the one guest he was Facebook friends with at the end of his internship was you. So like those connections matter. And I, I, I do think there was a time where I needed a guest and I said, you know what, Zach, you've been here for like three months. Your, your only friend is Paul. So I want to just bring Paul on and, then <laughs> out before. and I think we, and like, there's always stuff to talk about with you and you're always great. So, but we had some fun with that. And, you know, I've seen people come in and I'll be less specific about these because, you know, Zach will the shout out, but I don't know about everybody else, uh. but there have been so many positive stories. I, I've had people come in, intern with me and gone on to be television news reporters in less than a year of interning with me. Uh, I have a guy who's a radio host uh, and he went all the way out to Saskatchewan, has come back to Ontario already. He'll probably, you know, make the move from a lesser part of Ontario to Toronto if he wants in the next few years but he's done really well. He had a very natural talent, but he was just a nice, enthusiastic guy and he worked hard. And, but it, it, I guess it's not as simple as hard work. And I, I think that's the, the most frustrating part is you can work hard and, and I've been there, you can work hard, but maybe not smart or maybe you're not positive enough about it, right? Or maybe you're not connecting enough with people. Maybe you're not building that network out. And it's, it's all of these things. It, it's, not, it's not enough to just, and, I, and I've said this to interns, it's not enough to just be there. And usually if I can just tell them that, they get it. It's, it's, and I think almost always. 
you just, you need to figure things out. And I'll often jokingly say, well, don't, don't do that, do this, or try this, or try something. Just do, like, I, I would always encourage my interns to do little videos for us for social media. And that went so, so far because they would come away from the internship and, you know, they would, I had one intern recently in the last year or two who uh, we had a wrestler on and the wrestler was just so charismatic. And I said, you know what? He's a really funny guy. Instead of you asking him a question as the intern, um, have him ask you a question, <laughs> have the wrestler interview the intern. So he did it. And, you know, we tweeted out, we tagged the intern, we tagged the wrestler, wrestler retweets it. This wrestler is very connected. He's not in WWE. I don't think he's ever been in WWE, but he does some correspondence stuff with them. And he has a lot of friends in the industry. So the tweet gets liked by one of the four, you mentioned MMA earlier, one of the four horsewomen of MMA, one of the foremost greatest female MMA fighters ever, Jessamine Duke, who's training for WWE, probably still to this day in the Performance Center. And I don't know if he was as big of an MMA fan, but I had to explain, dude, you know, you were just killing time, but you were just yourself. You had some fun with this guy and he put it out. And now you have one of the four greatest MMA fighters of all time, like a video you did for fun while we were just killing time. And it's, it's very cool to see that stuff. And to, because the, the, the interesting thing about those things is, you know, in the capacity I'm in where I could be producing, opping and, and co-hosting a show, I almost never will have the time to do these things. And it's something I've stressed to program coordinators is I do everything I can to give students opportunities to build their skills up. And the sad truth is if they're not, and this is the case we have right now with COVID, if they're not there to learn this stuff, well, there's nobody to learn this stuff from me. There's nowhere to do this stuff. There's no person to do this stuff. And there is a great opportunity there. And, you know, sometimes I wish our structures were not, you know, like so structured that I, I couldn't just, you know, because the other thing about this pandemic that is sad is I have had people reach out that we, we can't do internships now. We just can't because yeah. you, you work remotely, and I've tried to figure out, I've pitched ways to do this remotely, but I don't think we're at that point as, uh, and, and it's, it's tough because if somebody's earning course credit and, you know, so, so this is the tricky thing is as much as we've adapted some things, I still think there's a lot we need to figure out uh, and a lot we need to still do because I, I, I feel, and I have family and friends who are recent graduates or in school now, that transition, uh, you know, like that's tough. You know, I, I can only imagine like whether it's your last year of university or you're just graduated, like what do you do? Is the thing you just studied for four years even a viable career path? Right. I, right. I it's, it's, yeah, it's tough. And I honestly wish I had better advice for those people. Um, but, but I think the thing I can tell them is continue to network in your circles and find that because it is out there. It is. And you mentioned uh, the guest that you and Ben had on who had written a book. I guess she's an actress and she was yep, going to go over and tour. Mm. And that was disappointing for her to find out that all those opportunities, and I know a couple of actors who are up and coming, that the same thing happened. All of a sudden, yep. it's done. My daughter, who performs in New York as a singer and songwriter, it was done for a while. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very discouraging. But what your story illuminated uh, from her was that she said there's going to be another time. So yeah. some of these interns who are going through school probably really, they would be discouraged, I would be too. 
But to focus on something that you can't control as opposed to something that you can is the wrong thing to do. So what do you do with this time? And you also mentioned something about sometimes we don't have all the answers. The interns may not have the, all, all the answers. They may not be smart in one particular area, but there's nothing wrong in asking somebody yep. who's experienced like you, hey, listen, I'm, I, I'm stuck here. Could you mentor me through this? Or yep. could, could you give me some advice or some direction or point me in the right path? And yeah. it's, of- it's amazing, Paul. Let me add this. Yeah. Uh, I, I've had interns who they would come in and they would, you know, just maybe terminology or, or just the software we use, you know, I, and I don't even do this anymore, but I used to have them sort of edit segments and whatnot. And we'd just be like, okay, segment's done. I'll throw you the file, give it a cut, flip it back. And to me, this was very easy. Um, but I did have a few students who just like, I don't, I don't really get this. Who is this guest? You know, and we, we just keep working on it slowly. And it, there was no race. I'd be like, Hey, try to do this. If you can, I'll do it after. No worries. And we keep doing this process. We keep doing this process. And then, you know, I get to the internship and they could be like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I can't come in today, but I, I got the process. So if you virtue, and this was like more than a year ago, if you send me the show, even just send me the hour, well, send me the first hour when you're done, just send me a raw file. I know exactly what to do. Or, you know, you've got a best of coming up on Friday. Can I help you build it? Can I try to build the entire show for you? And then, you know, if there's a change or something, if you change them, just let me know. And we do this process. And, you know, the first time they gave me a bet, I was like, well, okay, I changed this. I spaced this out differently. And then like a few weeks later, when they're towards the end of the internship, it was like, you got it perfect. You got it. Like the thing that you didn't even really fully understand. And, you know, I would be the first to admit, maybe I didn't explain it the best way possible, but that's okay. It's not, it's not a race. And, you know, inevitably, if you work on these things, it's just, you know, anything can, you can sort of master almost anything, or at least be really damn good at it, or at least get it at a level where it works for you. And maybe it doesn't have to be the thing you master, but it's, it's, it, you know, you can build up that skill set. Um, Cause I really do think most things can be taught. Um, but also to some extent, uh, going back to what I said earlier, you just have to get some things wrong to be like, oh, that's, that's not how it works. And um, I, I don't think there should be any fear of making a mistake. I, I know with Donald Trump, uh, somebody who worked with him recently said on one of our shows, you know, his attitude to everyone is, well, you screwed up, you're out. And he would tell that to his kids. He would tell that to his employees. And, you know, we saw what that kind of leadership does and, and what it leads to. Um, it should be completely opposite. It should be do your best and, and don't worry. Everybody makes mistakes and, you know, try not to, but if you do, that's great. Cause now yeah. you know what not to do next time. And, and, you know, maybe at most, maybe write it down. Cause that, that's one thing early in my career, I had a lot of trouble with is I could make a mistake multiple times. So I just, I wouldn't write it down. And then I realized, well, hey, I've got a phone, I've got a note app. Let me just make a little note at the end of each day. And realistically, you may start a new show and I've had this and you have a list of five things. Then a week, that list is two things. And then within two weeks, you don't have a list anymore. And you're actively asking people, did you like that? Or could that be better? And, you know, let me try something else. And, you know, I, I did have a, a, a thing I did over a holiday break where I, I thought I had gone mad. I was like, what if I use wrestling music during a news talk show? I'm, like, I'm just going to put one song in. Nobody will notice. So the host at the time came back to me and he said, what the hell was that? Well, I don't know. It's a wrestling song. He's like, no, that's good. It should sound like Howard Stern. Can you do that for the entire show? Yeah, okay. And I, I, I found something there that I honestly have gone back to in almost every show I produce now with, with a couple exceptions, 
where I have these instrumental songs that just you've never heard before. And they're really, really good. And I just use them because it's different. It, it represents who I am. And it, it just it gives, you know, what I do a uniqueness. And it was only through experimentation that I found that uniqueness. And the sort of irony of all of this is when I researched, oh, why are these songs so good? It's like, well, they're sort of ripoffs of, of more famous songs. But that is the whole hilarious subset of a YouTube video where it's like, here's the real song. Here's the version WWE did. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize they ripped off is Iggy Azalea for that uh, female uh -huh. wrestler. But it's a pretty catchy tune. Like, I don't think I can use that. Um, and, and it comes full circle because I was using these songs and I've had the actual wrestlers themselves on the show. Oh, and, cool. You know, especially I'll, I'll just list one because I, I know we're going over. But, yeah, that's right. you know, one of my favorites was Sonya Deville. And again, she's a very great MMA uh, fighter who came into WWE. And she was the first openly uh, gay wrestler as well. And, you know, we had her on to talk about that. And, to, and she was on a reality show at the time. And, you know, it was funny because we had her on. We used the song. But then she was also here for SummerSlam. And I got to meet her and just hang out with her with, for five minutes. And it's, it's, it's amazing to me that, you know, my interest in this area starts out as a musical experiment. And it goes all the way to a constant element of everything I do, hanging out with this person and having them on for a whole segment using that music. Like... The level of, and I think that's the one thing is, you know, I, I don't even try, Paul, to pr project things out that much. Like, I don't even know if at this point in, in the world we live in and how unsure things are and how quickly things can change, I don't even think it's worth trying to project where you want to be. I think it's more important to just be in the moment you're in, be fully in it, get everything you can out of yourself and those around you and enjoy it. And that's, that's good enough. Like, I... You could drive yourself crazy trying to figure out where am I going to be in five, 10 years. And sure, maybe for a job interview, you want to know in five years. But, you know, I used to be the person who was like, oh, I want to be the voice of the Raptors in 20 years. Oh, right. Probably not going to happen. And just a ridiculous goal. And also 20 years would make you like the youngest person who ever did that job. So it just, and I look back and that was the first thing I said in an internship interview at TSN 1050. And the other thing he told me was like, well, typically you're more of a color guy. Well, those are typically former athletes. You're not a former athlete. I'm like, that's a very good point. That's <laughs> a very good point. Yeah. Like I need to change to the other person in the booth, not the color commentator, because I don't have that background. And I'm, I'm not, you know, at 25, when I'm starting this industry, I'm not going to go back to school and become an athlete. Like I'm done with school. So, you know, you just sometimes have to listen to what the universe is telling you and not, and I was too caught up in what I projected myself to be as opposed to just being the best version of myself in this present moment, instead of worrying about 20 years from now, when I hadn't even fully researched what that was or understood what typically goes with that kind of position. And that's a very valuable lesson right there, what you just touched on, is not worrying so much about the outcome or where we want to be, as opposed to really focusing on what we can do right now to better ourselves or just to to build our talents or whatever it is, just to take care of ourselves. Because right now that's what we need to do. And once we take care of ourselves, we can then take care of others. We have to remain fit. We have to remain mentally fit. We have to focus on the best we can possibly do with what we have right now, not worry about what's gonna happen. Because if anything, COVID-19 has taught us this year is that it doesn't matter what you plan, I can mess your plans up. 
And, yeah. you know, and that's what COVID-19 has taught us. It's like that holiday you were thinking about doing or that wedding you were thinking about doing, everything has changed. So in a New York minute, everything can change. But right now, I think the, the one thing that you touched on that is so, and so you talked on living in the moment and making the best of the moment right now is what we need to be doing and not, not focusing on the things that we can't control. You touched on that earlier as well. And I thank you. And I'd love to talk to you all night, buddy, but, uh, you know, we, uh, yeah, in about at midnight, we'll be going, Hey, how's it going? I, you know, I, what's, what's the election like? You know, like we'll still be on the air. You know what? I've stopped looking like, uh, we're at one nineteen ninety two, and I, I don't know what we were at when we started, but, uh, that's how good the conversation has gone is I haven't looked and, uh, the numbers are significantly better. Like when we started, there were made the majority of outlets were projecting Trump up by eight. And now Biden is up 119 to 92. No, oh, wow. So this worked out perfectly because my entire plan, because I, look, I know a lot about this stuff. I know that there was going to be a late push for the Democrats, the way voting was broken out. So this is exactly what I wanted. And even still, I am going to go watch the Oscar Pistorius 30 for 30 now, yeah. not only election coverage, because as sad as it is that that, you know, and Jesus, a whole other podcast, but as sad as that story is, it, it's not as sad as the story of Donald Trump. So I will enjoy the questionable story of Oscar Pistorius and the unfortunate alleged murder he was involved in. Yeah. Um, and then I will, you know, I'll, I'll probably take the Colbert version at 11 o'clock of all this. That's yeah, a, a I think I might do that myself. I yeah. want to thank you so much, Bilal, for coming on the show and for sharing your, your experiences with us because you've left us with a lot to think about during these times. And thanks, buddy. You've always been there for me and, and I really appreciate it. Now, Paul, it's, it's always my pleasure. And uh, I'm just, I'll keep my ears open because there's a ton of you know, just great people I get to run into. And uh, I think the beauty of this is you're, you're able to go long format, right? And just yeah. relax. And I, I assume you're taking some notes to come back to as people go. Absolutely. Really gave me so much room to talk here. So I'm, I'm happy to refer some more people and I recommend people keep listening to you. You do a great job as you do with everything. Uh, and you know, you are as good a person as I can think of to promote, you know, this message you have and, and just getting people in the right headspace. And just, uh, you know, you've dealt with, with stuff I can't even imagine. Uh, and, you know, you need to find a guest host to make sure you're telling your story on this podcast as well. And it probably can't be me. You probably need someone even better than me. <laughs> fastballs and knock it out of the park. But it'll be uh, hard to find one of them, my friend. No, I'm sure you will. But thank you again. And, and it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Bilal. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another insightful episode. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave your comments. For more information, check out our website at www.inspireus.ca. Remember, it's not what happens to us that matters most. It's how we respond to what happens to us that does. Stay strong and resilient.